Hello, everybody, and thank you again for joining us on the PCICS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care and the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. My name is David Werho, and I'm a cardiac intensivist at UC San Diego and Rady Children's Hospital. I'm the executive producer of the podcast, and I'm very excited this week to introduce a new addition to our podcasting slate. In case you don't know, the PCICS has several work groups, one of which is a fourth-year pediatric cardiac intensive care training program directors group that is consisted of all the program directors for fourth years across the country. One of the great work products of this group has been spearheaded by Carl Nigali, who is a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. He has been spearheading a fourth-year pediatric cardiac intensive care journal club, which has been meeting virtually. I've heard so many good things about the journal club and the robust discussions about the different articles that they've reviewed that I asked if we could start sharing this with our listeners. These journal clubs take place regularly and review relevant literature in pediatric cardiac intensive care. But I think they're really helpful, not just for current fourth years, but for trainees and early career cardiac intensivists, nurses, nurse practitioners, other APPs, and anyone else who cares for pediatric patients in the cardiac ICU. In order to protect an anonymous learning environment and to allow for free-form, uncensored discussion, we have not recorded the actual discussion of the trainees. Rather, we will present to you the initial presentation of the article assessment and summary as done by the presenting fellow, and then at the end, we'll do some Q&A summarizing the discussion that's been had. The journals that we discuss are linked in the podcast description. Of course, these are audio podcasts only, and there were some slides for all of the articles that were discussed. Those slides will be available to PCICS members. Our very first article that we're discussing is going to be presented by Mike Mount, who's a current CICU fourth-year fellow at Children's Hospital of Atlanta. He presented Delirium in a Tertiary Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Unit, Risk Factors and Outcomes. The first author of this article is Andy Koth from Seattle Children's Hospital, and this was published in the Journal of Intensive Care Medicine this year. Let's jump right into the presentation, and don't forget to stay tuned for the discussion and Q&A at the end. I'm uh, Mike Mount. I'm the CICU fellow uh, here in Atlanta. Um, and this is an article that was uh, published in the Journal of Intensive Care uh, in 2021, uh, focusing on delirium uh, in their pediatric cardiac intensive care unit and uh, in association with risk factors and outcomes and trying to kind of better define uh, delirium in the pediatric CICU population. So uh, we'll kind of go through the article. Um, kind of the background and rationale for this study grows out of breadth of research that has gone into pediatric delirium over the past uh, several years. Um, but as we know, um, the article kind of put it very nicely. Uh, delirium is a nonspecific neuropsychiatric disorder consisting of acute and fluctuating brain dysfunction with deficits in arousal, attention, cognition, sleep, and perception, uh, which I think is a nice summary of uh, delirium as we encounter it uh, at the moment. There's a, a, a number of uh, studies that have kind of led to increased recognition and focus on delirium within the critical care landscape. Specifically, uh, adult studies kind of took up the, uh, the discussion early uh, in which uh, among uh, largely observational studies of critically uh, ill adults, there is a substantial proportion of adults that exhibit delirium. More than half of critically ill patients in some studies 
Uh, and in those studies, delirium was associated with adverse outcomes, including longer lengths of stay and uh, prolonged mechanical ventilation, as well as in greater uh, cognitive disability following discharge, and uh, sometimes a suggestion of higher mortality in patients who develop delirium. Um, so clearly an important to topic initially among the adult literature. However, um, this has also been taken up among the uh, pediatric literature as well. Um, and so delirium has been a hot topic within the um, PICU literature, um, in which, again, among mostly observational studies, uh, multiple studies have uh, identified a substantial proportion of critically ill children exhibit delirium while admitted, uh, that children who are critically ill who have delirium go on to uh, exhibit adverse outcomes, including, uh, again, uh, longer uh, lengths of mechanical ventilation, longer lengths of stay, um, and in at least a, at least in some literature, uh, it's an independent predictor of mortality for children who um, are, are in the PICU as well. And this, uh, again, we can kind of talk more about some of this data, but again, largely retrospective um, observational studies um, that have been useful in kind of identifying not only the burden of delirium within the critical care population, but also risk factors uh, for its development to give us potential targets for intervention. Among the uh, CICU population, uh, a number of studies have been published recently, uh, again, looking at uh, some of the similar or some of the same information that goes into developing delirium in, in patients. And so among uh, a couple of recent studies, an observational study of patients in the CICU requiring extracorporeal support, it was determined that uh, all of the patients in that study developed delirium and was associated with um, uh, prolonged uh, lengths of stay. Again, uh, another study in uh, pediatric critical care medicine in 2017 uh, of almost 200 CICU patients showed that nearly half of them developed delirium while admitted uh, to the CICU following bypass surgery. And they identified risk factors uh, for development of delirium, which have been kind of stable among all the, the pediatric literature of young age. Uh, existing developmental delay, um, higher surgical or medical complexity. And uh, with these patients, those patients exhibited longer uh, CICU length of stay. Uh, in that study in particular. Um, in 2018, another observational study of 100 IC CICU patients uh, demonstrated that more than half of them developed delirium uh, while uh, in, the in the CICU, and they developed it early within their stay, uh, with, again, kind of a growing theme of younger age, need for mechanical ventilation um, as risk factors for development of delirium. Additionally, use of sedative medications, uh, most notably benzodiazepines, have been implicated in the development of delirium, both in adults and uh, children. Uh, and uh, so, again, this has been replicated within the CICU literature as well, and again, has been associated with adverse outcomes, including longer duration of mechanical ventilation uh, and uh, longer lengths of stay. Uh, so kind of the, the theme of a lot of the literature that has been accumulated up until this point uh, regarding delirium is, uh, just to summarize, kind of ICU delirium is associated with adverse outcomes um, in both adults and children and in children admitted to the CICU. Uh, a number of risk factors for pediatric delirium have been identified uh, across several studies, and uh, it's a significant problem, including in the CICU, in which uh, several studies, uh, as we alluded to, have identified that greater than 50% of patients are affected in scoring high on their CAPD scores, and uh, the patients in the CICU have similar risk factors to other critically ill children. And it's, a, it's an issue because uh, not only is delirium difficult to treat and can be stressful for not only the patient and the families, but it's associated with adverse outcomes, um, as we mentioned, including duration of mechanical ventilation, ICU length of stay, and hospital length of stay. And there's some suggestion that it may be associated with increased mortality. 
For this study, however, there still remains, you know, uh, additional questions that can be further explored. And so uh, this study sought to further explore whether sedative doses and whether sedatives other than benzodiazepines affect risk of pediatric delirium in the CICU. Uh, and they further wanted to explore the duration of delirium and its impact on uh, in-hospital outcomes in the CICU, which I think is an important and interesting um, uh, direction to take. So the objectives for this study uh, were to evaluate risk factors for screening positive for delirium in the pediatric CICU, uh, which they defined using the CAPD score, which I think is relatively standard across the country. Uh, and they wanted to evaluate the associations between screening positive for delirium and the duration of positive screening uh, with uh, ICU and hospital outcomes. So for the method of this study, it's a retrospective single study cohort um, uh, study. Uh, in which they used EMR and uh, local VPS data um, over a two and a half year study period to look at all of their CICU patients. They included essentially all of the patients admitted to the CICU during the study period. However, they did exclude uh, patients who were admitted more than once. They excluded their subsequent admissions. Um, they also uh, excluded patients who uh, were admitted for end of life care and those who never actually had CAPD scores um, recorded. Uh, and this was a very small uh, number of patients they excluded. So uh, essentially examined their entire CICU population over a two and a half year period. They collected data from the EMR, which was uh, pretty remarkably granular. This must have been a very difficult um, uh, kind of undertaking, um, but that included sedation and delirium scoring, as well as clinical data, such as the medication exposures and their doses, and then use of uh, uh, extracorporeal support, mechanical ventilation, kind of treatment intensity uh, type um, information. And then uh, they link this with their local VPS database to kind of extract severity of illness scores and then procedure and diagnosis codes uh, from which they could assign stat scores for their patients that they examined. They defined, uh, it's, it's worth uh, going into this for a second, um, just to uh, clarify, um, but they um, looked at sedative exposures since this was one of the outcomes that they examined in particular. The way that they did it is they converted um, the administered drug amounts to benzodiazepine and opioid equivalents, uh, which allowed them to kind of uh, compare apples to apples among patients. Um, and then they trichotomized the entire cohort by total drug per kilogram per body weight per day over the ICU stay for um, the three classes of drugs. So benzodiazepines, opioids, and then uh, Presidex. Um, and they trichotomized these groups into no medication exposure, uh, lower than the median average daily dose, or equal to or higher than the median average daily dose among exposed patients. And so they kind of created uh, three groups of patients, uh, those that did, that did not receive the medication, those that received a relatively lower amount of the medication, and those who received a relatively higher dose of the medication. Um, and then they looked at uh, days receiving uh, sedation, and those were just uh, any days in the ICU in which any of these medications uh, or other uh, uh, sedation agents such as ketamine or propofol were given. Um, they did a, a kind of exhaustive analysis that included both univariate and multivariable uh, analyses to look at kind of individual variables and uh, compare those uh, as contributing to uh, the presence of a positive delirium score, uh, and then did a multivariable analysis to try to uh, control for confounders and covariates in order to determine independent associations of uh, exposures to some of these medications and the risk of uh, positive delirium uh, screening. 
Uh, these covariates were chosen a priori based on the prior literature that I alluded to uh, early, um, as well as um, based on those uh, that were identified from the univariate analyses. And then as a sensitivity analysis, they generated propensity match cohorts uh, to look at the effect of higher doses of sedatives and compare those with the presence and duration of positive delirium screening. So to get to the results so that we can have a little bit of discussion, they identified a pretty large cohort. So 942 patients were included. They seem to, at least in my experience, kind of mimic uh, what has been my experience this year of our uh, population of relatively sick and young children. Um, so male predominance, most were less than two years of age. Um, they had a good proportion of single ventricle anatomy. Uh, most underwent cardiac surgery, most received mechanical ventilation. And remarkably, which is going to be kind of the theme of this in prior data, is delirium is a large issue. Uh, Two-thirds of the patients in this cohort screened positive for delirium while admitted to the CICU. However, median duration of positive delirium screening was relatively brief. Uh, brief uh, within the entire cohort was uh, one day. Um, however, of those who screened positive, uh, many of them had uh, more than one uh, ICU days of positive screening. And uh, not uh, surprisingly, uh, this uh, kind of the proportion of ICU days with positive delirium screening increased with uh, prolonged uh, uh, ICU length of stay. And so more than uh, half of the ICU days for patients who stayed in the ICU for longer than nine days, uh, more than half of those days, they screened positive uh, for delirium. So a significant burden uh, within the CICO. Um, the univariate analysis um, identified a number of factors that were significantly associated with the uh, presence of a positive delirium screen. Um, those included demographic factors out of our control, uh, surgical complexity also out of our control, um, and then some, uh, some severity of illness markers, including AKI, exposure to mechanical ventilation, um, illness severity scores. Uh, and then also higher sedative exposure were all associated within the univariate analysis uh, with uh, positive delirium screening. However, I think more telling is the multivariable analysis. So um, when adjusting for covariables, is several things were uh, significantly associated with positive delirium screening, and that included young age, increasing days of mechanical ventilation, and then higher exposure to benzodiazepines and opioids. Uh, and then the duration of positive delirium screening uh, was slightly different, but associated with more um, factors, and those included uh, markers of surgical complexity, illness severity, and treatment intensity, and then greater than median exposure to any of the sedative medications examined in this study. Uh, and so this is uh, from their, their report, as we can see. Uh, in terms of association with a positive screen at all, um, includes the, the uh, variables that we mentioned. However, uh, association with uh, a greater duration of delirium screening included uh, a number of other factors as well, um, including exposure to benzodiazepines, opioids, and dexmedetomidine. Then examined uh, the association between positive delirium screening and uh, duration of the positive delirium screening uh, with uh, outcomes. And this is you know, also uh, very relevant to us. And so positive delirium screening was significantly associated with increased uh, ICU length of stay, an average of 39% increase in length of stay of those who screened positive uh, for delirium versus those who did not. Uh, and then the duration of uh, positive delirium screening was also important, 
in which an average 3% increase in the length of stay in the ICU was observed for each additional day of positive delirium screening. So uh, certainly a, um, an important issue. Uh, in this cohort, um, overall mortality was low, um, but uh, positive delirium screening was not independently associated with mortality in this cohort. And then uh, for the sensitivity analysis, uh, they generated propensity match cohorts of those who received higher than uh, average doses of sedatives and compared those to uh, matched examples from those in the, the other groups of the lower or no exposure. Um, and they found that benzodiazepine and dexmedetomidine exposure were significantly associated with an increased uh, absolute risk of a positive delirium screen. Um, so uh, as has been uh, hinted at in other studies, it's not just benzodiazepines that predispose our children to development of delirium. It could be all of our sedative medication, and thus we need to be judicious in our uh, application of these medications. Uh, and so to get to our discussion, I'm curious to hear other thoughts about this, but in this single center study, delirium was a common finding in the CICU and was associated with both non-modifiable and potentially modifiable risk factors, which is consistent with prior studies. And the presence and duration of delirium was associated with adverse outcomes in the CICU, not mortality, but length of stay, um, which certainly comes with its own set of um, issues and morbidities. Um, it's possible that the CICU delirium population may be somewhat distinct from the PICU population in, in that there are some subtle differences in risk factors regarding, you know, uh, surgical exposures and uh, whatnot. Uh, it also was observed that the onset of CICU delirium appeared to be early and uh, somewhat short-lived. And so it's possible that there is a kind of differences uh, among delirium because it's such a broad definition that there are potentially phenotypes within delirium, kind of the way that we talk about sepsis and sepsis phenotypes uh, in the literature is that um, there are potentially differences and uh, uh, within the delirium population that would provide uh, kind of different targets uh, and different modes for investigation and intervention. I think there are some strengths and limitations. Um, obviously, this is a large cohort. Um, they had a detailed uh, study with detailed information about medication exposures and laboratory uh, data. Overall, they had a pretty remarkably low rate of kind of missing data, missing information. Um, and I think they did a thoughtful and extensive um, uh, multivariable analysis trying to control for uh, covariates as best as possible. Um, and the, I think the validity of the study is supported by prior data. Of course, there's some limitations. It's a single center observational study, so we can't imply causality. Obviously, there's always the possibility of uh, an unmeasured variable that would be important and contributory to the outcomes. The I think one of the, the biggest kind of questions in delirium literature is uh, related to the chicken or the egg, um, is that are we giving more benzodiazepines and more sedative medications to these patients because they are delirious, or uh, is it more that these uh, exposures are uh, uh, creating and, and propagating delirium within these patients. Uh, and then finally, you know, the use of the CAPD score is pretty universal um, and, and well-established. However, um, it has uh, a high sensitivity as a screening score, which is its point, um, but a relatively low specificity. So it's possible that we're labeling some of these patients as delirium who had uh, altogether different processes. Um, and so um, that, that is an intrinsic limitation of the delirium literature at the moment. Um, some of the conclusions I had uh, is that, you know, as we mentioned, delirium is common. It's a big deal within the CICU and is associated with uh, adverse outcomes. We have risk factors that we've identified. 
prolonged mechanical ventilation and higher sedative exposure are associated with positive screening. There's some suggestion that it's not just benzodiazepines, but also opiates and uh, dexmedetomidine. Uh, that may uh, propagate delirium within our uh, patient population, and that the duration of delirium is also important for these patients. With these potentially modifiable risk factors, it really underscores the urgency uh, and need for uh, additional interventional studies that are aimed at optimal sedation strategies uh, to kind of mitigate the risk of delirium within our population, uh, which would hopefully uh, lower rates and then potentially improve CIC outcomes. Uh, and so with that in mind, I do want to get to a little bit of discussion. So um, some of this is geared at trainees, but I'm interested in anybody's uh, kind of uh, thoughts. But uh, the question is, you know, what has been the experience with delirium in the CICU this year? Um, and how has its recognition and management kind of evolved um, over the last several years or within training? Because I've kind of observed that myself of the discussion kind of changing and becoming much more prominent uh, in what we do from the day to day. Um, I'm interested in what strategies are employed at uh, individual institutions to mitigate risk of delirium. Um, you know, here at Children's in Atlanta, uh, we do a lot of focus on uh, daily interruption of sedation, uh, early mobility, uh, in, uh, involvement of, you know, therapies, PT, OT early within admission to the CICU, uh, as well as uh, strategies to kind of reduce the exposure to benzodiazepines and sedatives in general. And then I'm also curious, uh, what are the, the next steps among the group? Uh, that the people think are necessary to better understand or manage delirium uh, within the CICU. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for speaking to us about delirium and some of the additional things that we found about delirium in the study that, that you presented today. Um, I would really like to hear from you what the most surprising thing was from reviewing this paper. And I, I can tell you what, what was most surprising to me, but I want to hear what you thought was most surprising. Mm. Uh, sure. So, I, you know, I found a number of things surprising, but I think the the most striking uh, findings from this uh, paper include the sheer prevalence of delirium within the pediatric CICU population in that, you know, two thirds within this cohort screened positive for delirium. And it was associated with a number of uh, risk factors uh, that, you know, were consistent with prior uh, pediatric uh, critical care data. Uh, however, also some new factors and really extended beyond general sedative exposure to just benzodiazepines, but included all sedative exposure as well as, you know, markers of uh, illness severity and uh, treatment intensity within the CICU. Yeah, I agree. All of those were really surprising to me. And I think the fact that they they looked intently at, at dose and um, duration to correlate that with CAPD scores and delirium was really interesting. And I also found that the fact that patients after they're in the ICU for nine days, pretty much are delirious half the time was maybe not surprising, but a little eye opening to me. For sure. um, so there were some interesting discussion points that came out out of the discussion afterwards. Um, first of all, uh, you, you brought up a question of you know, all of us have been doing cardiac ICU for varied amounts of time, but the recognition of delirium and the treatment or prevention of delirium has probably evolved quite a bit, even the last year or, or last few years. So can you summarize what the discussion was amongst the participants about that? Mm -hmm. uh, for sure. So I, I think there was a um, kind of broad discussion that at, over the last several years, delirium recognition has become um, much more prevalent. 
Uh, and uh, interventions uh, among the institutions seem to be much more robust in terms of trying to mitigate the risk of delirium. And so, um, you know, in, discuss in discussing among uh, all the members of the chat, um, it seems as though things such as, you know, standardized CAPD scoring, minimizing exposures to benzodiazepines through the use of sedation protocols uh, or standardized assessments of sedations among patients, uh, as well as uh, kind of daily discussion of um, ways to uh, best mitigate uh, exposure to not only sedatives, but also other things that predispose our patients to delirium, seems to have really kind of blossomed over the last several years to the point where it's now a standard part of our practice within the CICU across the country. Yeah, and um, just speaking from my own experience here, we just started um, a protocol for charting CAPD scores. So um, I definitely know that we're late to the game here, but it is important that I think people are really recognizing the impact of delirium on, you know, quality of life and outcomes and, um, and how prevalent it is in the CICU. A few of the other things that I think we heard about mitigating risk were some, some things like sedation rounding and either increased use of things like olanzapine or risperidone or cotiapine, but some places are actually using less of those antipsychotic agents. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. Is there anything else that you want to say about that? Uh, so, you know, it's been my experience in our practice that uh, we generally use risperidone for children that were uh, concerned, uh, maybe developing delirium as a, another strategy to manage it. Uh, and it was alluded to some of the recent adult data in the use of antipsychotics uh, in critically ill adults and uh, possibly mitigating uh, delirium. However, I know that, that based on the discussion, it did seem as though uh, there is a fair bit of heterogeneity among practices uh, among, throughout the country uh, in regard to the use of antipsychotics. And so, um, you know, it, as I think this uh, article demonstrates is that uh, medications that are potentially sedating um, or have anticholinergic effects, which include antipsychotics, um, may still be associated with uh, increased rates of delirium. And so I think the jury's still out on uh, best practices for managing with uh, antipsychotics uh, for delirium for children. And um, one other thing that I wanted to point out from the discussion that I thought was quite um, topical because of the nursing crisis in the United States right now was related to nursing experience and how that may impact risk for delirium. Do you want to just quickly summarize what, <laughs> what was said? Yeah, I, I think the discussion was really interesting in that uh, I think we've all had experiences within the CICU uh, and, you know, other critical care environments in which kind of the stress on the uh, unit as a whole and uh, stresses within staffing models and staffing availability uh, sometimes impacts our practices at the bedside. And so uh, we had a discussion regarding, um, you know, how uh, sedation practices might change when uh, staffing models are different. Uh, and that uh, there's at least some um, discussion of whether or not it'd be uh, helpful to investigate kind of patterns of uh, sedation practices throughout um, kind of worldwide stressors such as the pandemic uh, versus also just uh, at certain times of days or based on uh, nursing ratios and whatnot. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be uh, further discovered in relation to kind of the day-to-day -day practices at the bedside of, you know, when do we time our x-rays? When do we time our dressing changes? When do we time our diuretics uh, for our patients? And how can we be more thoughtful 
uh, in the way that we manage them uh, so as to kind of minimize exposure to unnecessary sedation or uh, unnecessary disruptions to their usual sleep-wake cycle? And uh, how could these be targets for us to further mitigate the risk of delirium in our patients? Yeah, that was a great point. I think everybody had a very um, vocal reaction to someone saying, do we really need this 4 a.m. routine chest x-ray or this midnight dose of Lasix? And um, I think everyone just needs to reflect on that a little bit because I don't think we're going to change that practice across the country, but maybe we need to be more mindful of that for sure. Thank you again, Mike, for presenting this journal club and for joining us on the podcast. We really enjoyed having you here today. For all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, pcics.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated information on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. The song, I Don't Know by Grapes, was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.